welcome to the Champs App Podcast, where we help players and parents demystify the world of minor hockey development and recruiting for both girls and boys. On today's episode, I talk with Jen Kindred, head coach of the St. Anselm women's hockey team. We talk about her development as a D1 hockey player, her coaching journey through D1 and D3, her plans to continue to develop the Hawks program, and her perspective on the upcoming recruiting season. I really enjoyed my conversation with Jen, and I hope you do too. Before we get to today's amazing episode, I wanted to talk to you about the app part of Champs app. Did you know that there are over 30 NCAA coaches with Champs app profiles that you can connect with directly? These include coaches from every D1 conference. Champs app lets you create a free, beautiful online hockey resume to share with coaches, teams, and players. Your profile includes all the information coaches want to know to help decide if you are a player they want to keep on their recruiting radar. When you connect with coaches, they will receive automatic updates when you change your profile, add game or video, or alert them to upcoming games on your schedule. Just go to champs.app and click the sign up button to start your profile. You can check out the full list of the NCAA coaches using Champs app by clicking on the links in the show notes. I'm very excited to have on the podcast, Jen Kidrit, head coach of the St. Anselm Hawks women's hockey program. Originally from Winnipeg, Manitoba, Jen played college hockey at Robert Morris University before taking coaching jobs at Chatham and Lindenwood University. She then went on to start the D3 women's program at King's College before returning to her alma mater as an assistant coach at RMU. In 2021, she took over the head coaching job at St. A, where she's been for the last two years. Welcome to the podcast, Jen. Thank you so much, Ray. I'm excited to be here. Awesome. Um, so uh, like we do all our guests, why don't we start off with uh, hearing a little bit about your hockey history and uh, learning to play hockey in Winnipeg? Yeah, for sure. Um, it feels kind of like it was yesterday. I believe I was two years old when I was first put on gliders um, in my parents' backyard. Um, every year, my dad would make a, a rink in the backyard and I had two older brothers who played and I wanted to do everything they did. Um, so I kind of just fell into it and, and growing up in Winnipeg, you know, everybody, I, it's a joke. You, uh, learn to skate before you learn to walk. Um, so grew up playing, all my friends, um, would come over, play in the backyard rinks, you know, in the summers, we were always on the streets playing ball hockey. So it was kind of like a way of life. Um, then I got into boys hockey and then finally when I was around about 12 years old, they started girls, um, the girls division. So Kind of had to mix a little bit of both, um, played girls hockey, um, played high school hockey. Um, and then I used to hate practicing. Um, I was, I just wanted to play. And I got cut from when I was in grade 10 from the AA team, which was like the height of where you want to be, especially if you want to play college hockey. And Went to play lower level, was one of the, like, the better players on the team. We won the championship. And after that, my dad was kind of like, where do you, you want to go with hockey? My brother was playing in the BCHL at the time and had just like kind of committed to Cornell. And I always like wanted to do what he did and everything. He's like, well, if you want to go there, you got to put in the work like this summer. And so he signed me up to train with my brother. And back in the day, it was this place called Focus Fitness. And before... They were big names, Jonathan Taves, Travis Zajac, and all those guys play there. So you're kind of like awe of like how hard these guys work in the offseason. And it really gave me a taste. And ended up making the double-A team the next year. And then that summer, I just lived and breathed training and really saw my development. I was like probably 100 pounds soaking wet when I was like 15. So I didn't really, I kind of say I was a late bloomer, really started to 
grow into my body around 17, 18. And then my grade 12 year, we were like undefeated. We ended up winning the city championships, provincials, went on to like the Westerns high school team. It was the first year back. There was 18 teams at the time. I played for Shaftesbury High School. <laughs> um, we ended up going against St. Mary's in the championship game. So really had kind of a breakthrough year. Um, didn't get much exposure to college or offers and stuff like that. I ended up actually going out to BC to play in the, um, it's dissolved now, but it's, it was kind of, it was a WWHL where like Wickenheiser and Kingsbury played back in the day. So I played for a team in the BC um, and really I was kind of, you know, disheartened from the whole college experience. Found my love of the game. I was like, wow, these are some amazing players. Like just love it. And then 2008 came with the financial crisis and the owner of the team midway through just um, dissolved the team. So I was out in BC. Um, I was living with a couple of girls on the team. One of them knew the Robert Morris assistant coach and was like, hey, like my root, this good players like got nowhere to go and stuff like that. I was looking at the time of just going back home to play for University of Manitoba and then Nate Handerhan ended up calling me and, and gave me the opportunity of a lifetime um, and never looked back. It was the most amazing four years at Robert Morris, obviously ups and downs, coaching switch, stuff like that, but it really shaped me um, to who I am today. So I'm, I'm grateful for all my opportunities for with hockey. Great. And so I want to, do, I want to go back to something you mentioned earlier, that seminal moment when you got cut. Uh, from the double-A team. Um, what, in hindsight, what was it in your game that was missing that you were able to develop once you had that um, motivation to, 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 to take your game to the next level after, um, you know, the conversation with your dad and, and things like that? I think it was just, like, it's more than just scoring goals. Like, your ability to compete in all areas of the ice and just really getting stronger in all areas with a shot um skating to get a step ahead of players and stuff like that it was just at that moment you have to develop so much it's not just I guess one thing like I, I fixed my shot and I think it was all around uh, my strength and conditioning that really just helped me compete at that level so I think it's such a critical for young women through that period of like 14 to 18 of just developing your whole game um, not just focusing on one certain thing and how were you able to figure out what you needed to like, like, like how to get better on those different attributes? Like, was it, did you have coaches or did you just like watch video of yourself? Did you have just other players that you hung around that were working on things that you needed to work on? Yeah, I'd say it's a whole mix of things. I had a really great strength mentor. His name is Eeyore. Um, he like would gave me books, just my mental side of things, how I approached everything. He kind of changed the game for me and, and worked with me on just like such a personal level of maturing as like an elite athlete. I think changing my mindset and how I approach things, I think he really, I have to give him so much credit to my development. Gotcha, gotcha. And so um, you mentioned that, you know, you, you had a connection through a roommate to, to Robert Morris University, but how did that recruiting process actually go? Did they fly you out? Did you take a visit? Or was it you just got on the phone and you said, yeah, I'm coming? <laughs> yeah, I think I have the most unorthodox um, college journey, which I, you know, tell recruits, you know, there's, it's all about opportunity. Um, and sometimes things happen the way they're supposed to happen. Um, 
Yeah, a couple phone calls. Um, they obviously did their due diligence in calling past coaches and research and video and stuff like that on me. Um, I honestly was just like, I, it was at length conversations with my family and I was just like, you know what, I'm, I'm going. Um, so I actually didn't visit um, before I went and just just took a, took a chance and I <laughs> absolutely no regrets. Wow, that's awesome. Had you been to the, at least visiting like any schools in the United States before or any? I, any I had through um, like tournaments and stuff like that. And obviously I was out to visit my brother and watch him play in, in some games and stuff like that too. And obviously at the time, like being from Winnipeg, you know, we'd always, North Dakota was like where he wanted to be and stuff like that. So we'd always go down and, and train there and stuff like that too. So we, I had like a sense of um, American schools. Gotcha, gotcha. So talk about your four years. You mentioned that there were some ups and downs, uh, some coaching changes. Talk about your experience um, and kind of how you developed from a hockey perspective during your four years there. Yeah, absolutely. So freshman year is kind of, I had a big class and I think I didn't have a lot of pressure on me because I'm just like, hey, this this older kid from Winnipeg and my class was highly recruited and, and r really good hockey players from the PWHL at the time. So I didn't have a lot of pressure on me. I actually, you know, did fairly well. I ended up leading freshman score in my class, um, but a couple of rookie of the week accolades. Um, and that year, our freshman year was just, maybe we were just kind of all naive, but like our first road trip series was a 16 hour sleeper bus ride out to Minnesota Duluth. And we actually, they won the national championship that year and we actually beat them one or two games. Um, we went on to beat like Wisconsin, tied BU, so it was a really exciting year. Uh, there were so many freshmen. I guess we were just super excited to like go to all these places and um, play these elite teams like that maybe they passed up on us. So it was it was a lot of excitement freshman year. Bit of a learning curve to, you know, the practicing, the amount of practice and stuff like that too. Sophomore year, good too. We had a lot of just ties. I don't think we could break through. And then... Um, the end of the season, Nate decided to leave and they hired Paul Colantino, who was coming from Mercyhurst at the time. And Mercyhurst was an unstoppable program. Like two years before they were in the national championship game, just a really solid program. Um, it's funny because Paul and I, um, didn't exactly see eye to eye, um, when he first came in. Uh, my junior year was a bit of a struggle, but my team was doing so well, um, and it ended up winning the, the championship for the first time that year. Um, but he just had a different level of expectation where you practice and everything like that. And um, it took me about a year to like kind of learn how to compete. Um, he always said I had all the tools in the toolbox. It was just that kind of missing factor. And being a coach now, I'm like, wow, this is full circle of um, saying <laughs> the same things to some of my players. But um he really got the best out of me. Um, senior year, I had an injury, knee injury right after Christmas break. Kind of got misdiagnosed as like a lower tier. And then I just could not get my knee to bend. I did everything, worked my butt off. Um, ended up being out for seven weeks. And we kind of went on like a losing streak <laughs> in that time. Um, and then I was able to make it back for senior night which was super important because my family never really got a chance to come out much so my family got to come out and I got to play and I got to start um so it was kind of like an, an awesome way just to have some 
closure of finishing out my college career. So um, again, ups and downs, but um, you know, it's how you handle some of the adversity too and um, how you approach that, but um, has made me, uh, I think, a better coach. Gotcha, gotcha. So I do just have one last question on your playing days. Um, so from what you explained, you actually came in a little bit older. I'm assuming like the equivalent today was you, you would have taken a post-grad year or two before you started at, at, at Robert Morris. Do you felt, feel that like that helped you because you were a little bit more developed both uh, physically and, and mentally at that point uh, to, to have such a strong freshman year? A hundred percent. I think just now I have lived away from home, um, you know, learning to cook and stuff like that. And just having that real life experience, I think really helped me have a better perspective on, let's say a bad game or something like that too. So I really think it definitely helped me playing and just um, personally dealing with everything in college too. Great, great. All right, so now let's move on to um, after playing at Robert Morris. Uh, how did, tell, us, tell us what you did afterwards and how you got into the coaching side of things. Yeah, for sure. So I was a sport management major at Robert Morris, and um, they have a pretty big alumni group with that. And I was getting kind of some offers about like ticket sales, Maple Leafs, like some NBA teams and stuff like that. And I was like, yeah, that's really like kind of cool at the start to like um, – work for a professional team but I'm like I'm just not a salesperson <laughs> I'm not I'm pretty authentic um and then I worked a uh I stayed the summer in Pittsburgh with one of my best friends and was working hockey camps for the Penguins and Robert Morris and then the Chatham coach was working one of them and was like what are you like what are you doing what are your plans and I was like I'm not too sure I'm just trying to figure it out right now and he's like he's like watching you interact with the players and stuff like you're you're a natural coach like we need somebody we need a female who's played at a high level to kind of help us out would you be interested and I actually talked to Paul at length about it about coaching and um he helped me with my decision and I took a job as a volunteer um with Chatham and credit to Jason he like I was a sponge I was like I want to learn recruiting I want to do all this he's like I'll let you do whatever you want he let me like run the forwards run the power play and stuff like that too so I just soaked everything up obviously being Canadian I was on like a certain visa that was just a year so I ended up moving back to Winnipeg looking for jobs and stuff like that and then Scott Spencer who was formerly at Robert Morris as my assistant coach got the job at Lindenwood um so I applied to grad school and it was like a grad assistant program. Um, so I moved out to Lindenwood with like a week, started grad school, um, had an amazing opportunity for two years there, um, learned so much through um, that program and my position and, and doing my master's at the same time. Then uh, graduated after two years and then had the opportunity to coach with Nicole Hensley, who's now a really good friend. Um, so that was awesome to experience working with someone of her talent and caliber. And then applied for jobs and then Kings kind of reached out randomly over the summer and interviewed and then they flew me out and offered me the job on the spot. And I don't know if I was just a young, naive, fresh um 
prospect, but they literally gave me an office, a, a credit card and said, start this program. And there's no like, better way to learn than getting thrown into the fire. And I learned so much, the good, the bad, and the ugly um, through that. And just how much goes into starting a program. Um, yeah, just to, just to, just to clarify for folks who aren't, you know, um, didn't didn't catch it early on in my intro, uh, King College didn't have a women's program. Uh, you were hired to start the program from scratch. Right? Yep. Yep. Sorry. Yep. I, and they didn't have a men's program either. So we, the men's coach and I, got hired at the same time to start a program. Um, so they they knew nothing in regards to hockey or how it operated. So we really got to guide them and work with them. Uh, you know, and me and Steven at the time had different backgrounds, so we had different expectations for programs and stuff like that too, but great overall experience. And then after three years... Um, so just, before before we move on to you heading back to Robert Morris, um, you, you mentioned that, you know, the good, the bad, and the ugly. So what, what were your key takeaways of starting a program and kind of what were, your, what were some of the biggest challenges that you had to overcome? I think a big thing is, um, you know having a locker room where you don't bring your equipment back and forth and and off campus and working with them on like class schedules and scheduling practice times and just everything you kind of don't think of when the program's already set up and and functioning like all the just the little logistics and being a new program and getting people to buy in to what you're believing in and not having any tangible um thing to show for it is uh, you know you get like 500 no's and you keep believing in yourself and what you're trying to do and then the kids you do get to believe in you um that come there was awesome I still keep in touch with some of them today um but yeah everything and just player situations and yeah definitely just a unique experience starting a program for sure Gotcha. So how did you end up back at Robert Morris? So Chelsea had left for Colgate and Chelsea, Chelsea Walkland, who was a bit of previous Walkland. guest on, 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 yeah. on the pro on the, uh, on the podcast. Yeah, go ahead. Okay. And, and also a, a former RMU alumni. Um, I played with her just one year, but a tremendous person and coach. Um, so I reached out to Paul cause I was like, you know what? The chance to work for your alma mater is like a once in a, lifetime opportunity I think and I had been like six years removed at the time so I'd grown up and matured a bit and um kind of just talked it out with him and he, he offered me the spot and I jumped up the opportunity and I thought you know I've done all I can at King's I think I've reached my personal ceiling of and I want to develop more I want to learn more um so and, you know, Paul and Logan are tremendous coaches. So I was like, you know what? This is a chance for me to grow, too, as a coach um, and go back to somewhere I loved and help me develop as a, a person, too. So went back, um, had an amazing two years um, with them, a crazy two years, COVID, and then obviously when they shut down the programs. But um, extremely grateful for my two years there. Perfect. Yeah, and we had Logan on the podcast last year uh, talking about shutting down the program and him restarting it uh, at Robert Morse this coming fall and uh, some of his plans. Now, were would you have stayed if the St. Anselm, uh, like, were you looking anyway when, when the St. Anselm opportunity came up, or is it uh, they just happened to work hand in hand? 
So we had obviously had no idea they were planning to shut down the program. So we were just came off a NCAA Elite Eight championship. So like you're at the height of happiness. And, you know, I had just finished like my second recruiting class there. So I was excited to get my classes in. I'm really excited about my recruits. So at that time when Robert Morris shut down programs, I was not looking. Um, then they shut down the programs. I was out on a visa, so things kind of got time sensitive. I It was a very difficult period of time um, for me personally. Um, but randomly, um, you know, St. Anselm, I had a, a conversation with my dad the day before St. Anselm reached out about, um, I'm just like, you know, it's, it's difficult. Like, I, I'm trying to look for other jobs and I'm trying to like get my players placed or what my recruits are doing. There's like so many factors. I'm like, I, how do I look for another job right now? Like, this was like such an important part of my life. Um, my dad's like, you know, don't give up. Um, that's not who you are. Um, and then the next day I got a text from one of the ADs at St. Enslem, um, who's been a great mentor to me since, um, just like, Hey, you interested? And interview they flew me out I was offered the job and and haven't looked back um it's been an amazing place um they've been super supportive with everything and um we're actually gonna be playing Robert Morris in their home opener um oh, wow. this fall so it's gonna it's kind of like a full circle it's gonna be a pretty special event so that's awesome all right so now let's get into St. Anselm so let's let's get to the basics now um for folks who didn't know uh Kirsten Matthews your predecessor was on the podcast when our first guest um and she went into great detail about some of the campus life and the political side of uh St. Anselm but maybe just talk about um the location you know you're in Gosstown, New Hampshire around 2,000 students um like I kind of said it's known for the debates that uh, that go on for the uh, during the presidential elections but maybe just talk about um you know the school the campus um and the facilities like sullivan arena yeah absolutely it's a great place it's like once you come here you feel how special it is not a lot of people know it it's a smaller school like you said it's in gosstown new hampshire we're surrounded by a couple small cities we're about an hour from boston 45 minutes from the ocean 45 minutes from the mountains so it's just like the perfect setting um Beautiful campus, um, walkable. Obviously, Sullivan Arena is magical, as you can see. In your background, it's on campus. Um, we get a lively crowd for men's and women's games. Um, Catholic school, we specialize in, you know, from business, nursing, health sciences. Obviously, politics are huge. Like you said, the debates happen every four years here. And every sitting president from since JFK has been to St. Anselm, which is a a really unique fact because I think that's the only school um, college in the states that has that fact but uh, it's a great place um, everybody kind of knows who you are just at being a smaller school it is like your second family and I think the people here really make it what it is and um, it is also unique to we're the only division one team at St. Anselm too everyone else plays a division two schedule 
Beautiful. So let, let's actually talk about that now. So you, you play in the uh, the Newha Conference um, and, uh, you know, some new things going on with Newha over the last couple of years. Uh, the, the conference champion this past, uh, just a couple of months ago, um, you know, got, got an auto bid to the playoffs, uh, Long Island University. You were that close to getting that bid, just a couple of goals away. Um, and they've expanded from six to eight teams. Uh, last year, I had Tara Watchorn when she started up the uh, Stonehill College program and then um, also had Jack Sweeney from Assumption who, that's starting this fall. So maybe just talk about now how your life has gotten more difficult by adding two new teams um, and uh, <laughs> and the impact of, of the growth of the Newha Conference. You know what? It's it's great for the game. It just provides more opportunities for these young ladies to play college hockey. So I think it's great. We're expanding. I know Tara did an unbelievable job putting Stonehill together. I know Jack's doing a great job as well. So it's just helping grow the game. Um, we're still a young um, division too. So, you know, it helps when, you know, out of the conference teams, we schedule the non-conference games, good matchups. I know a lot of new hot teams have, have, gotten those wins too so that really helps too but I think we're all striving to get better we're all like dedicated to our programs in the new Newha so it, it's exciting you know LAU did get the first bid this year um next year hopefully um but um no it's great all the coaches are great um and represent their programs extremely well and um we're excited for things to come Gotcha. And, and so I did notice, kind of, I looked at the pairwise rankings and some other ways of, of ranking teams. There, there's still a pretty big gap, though, between, like, the Newha and the, uh, let's just say, the WCHA. So what, what, do you, what do you think, kind of, just from a conference perspective, kind of, um, you know, the teams need to do to kind of be more competitive at that level, kind of, at, at the later part of the year, not, not just during the non-conference schedule? Yeah, you know, it's tough, WCHA. I mean... Even, you know, Hockey East and CHA, they're still always competing against the WCHA. Um, I think it's just, you know, we got to, uh, the recruiting, maybe um, just keep recruiting elite players, um, maybe strategically, um, how we go about our recruiting process. And then, you know, pushing some of our schools to, you know, um, help us, um, whether it's funding or, or whatever, just to be, be stronger and um I think playing these non-conference games and just seeing where they're at definitely helps our players and helps everybody see like this is where we need to get to how do we do it so um yeah there's a gap but um we're all working extremely hard to try to get the um league to where it needs to be Gotcha, gotcha. And you, you, you actually led right into my next question around you, you, you had a really tough non-conference schedule. Do you feel that that actually helped you for later in the season by competing against like such top teams um, like Quinnipiac, um, you know, this past season? Absolutely. Um, we started off with a, um, a very tough non-conference schedule and then we went undefeated and into break in first place. I think it really helped us in our conference schedule as tough as those games might be. The only ways through um so you got to go through some of those um growing pains to to get better so that's just the kind of realization of um what we need to do to get where we want to be gotcha and you had a pretty good postseason run um you know you you ended up upsetting Stonehill, who was uh just had a higher ranking than you coming going into the playoffs um and you lost i, I watched the game you lost a really close game to liu you just needed a couple more goals to to help you uh kind of get it to overtime um what was what were the keys to kind of the success for this past season 
Yeah, definitely. I think um, our offense, I think we ended up like 13th in the country, um, was a huge factor last year. I think we struggled to score a little bit. Um, obviously, we had um, Allie, Kelly, and Ned, who we could always rely on, which was a big thing for us. And then just kind of getting situated. I think, you know, last year we were a lot of excitement, um, had a couple upsets with, you know, Maine and Brown and Dartmouth. And now second year, there's more expectation on you because you did have those upsets and stuff like that too. But um, kind of a roller coaster year, but a really good, I think, learning year and a stepping stone of like, okay, now we're, we are division one. There's, you know, we were a very good division three program. Now we're turning the tides. We want to be a very good division one program. And we are excited about the recruits we're bringing in this year and, and well into our class of 2024. So we're excited for things to come. So that's it. Maybe talk a little bit about your coaching staff. Uh, I'm going to probably mess up their names, but uh, Vinny Ferranola and Joe Delo, um talk about kind of how you guys divide responsibility and, and kind of what they're like to work with. You actually nailed it. So nice job there. <laughs> yeah. So Vinny Farinola, um was our hockey ops at Robert Morris and um, just an awesome guy. Um, does a bit of everything here. So um, I brought him with me. He he works with the defense. Um, I'm getting his feet wet with recruiting. He's on the operations side of things too. And then this year we um, got him more into some video and scouting stuff too as well. So, and Joe is our, our volunteer assistant. So he helps with practices, um, PK work. He does videos with um, uh, players too. So right now we're not the traditional division one, but we're kind of all hands on deck, which kind of gets us a foot in everything in the program and our care factors, obviously through the roof. Um, me, obviously recruiting is a big thing for me. And then just, vision for the program working with players strategy and stuff like that too but we're all hands on deck and we all love it gotcha gotcha so you you mentioned kind of the different rules i'm curious how much uh you're able to use analytics in what you do to uh, help improve your game do you, do you have any analytics capabilities at all we do we use instat um which is a big thing across the board and, and becoming a lot bigger too but we're we love to teach situational awareness and stuff like that i think the game has gotten a lot more 2d when you can pull up every stat but when it's the emotion of the game or trying to think fast and stuff like that too i think we're way more practice focused um player focused um instead of just using data I'm curious then how you how you apply what you learn from video and these other sources to player development. Like uh, how do you individually help the players get better? Yeah, absolutely. We will we do a lot of team video and stuff like that too. Um but it's kind of breaking down our game and um recapping games and how to practice plan and what we need to work on or who we're playing against and stuff like that too. So it's really kind of teaching players the game um and how to more think the game too as well and so my experience at least at the youth level is coaches really tend to focus more on the team systems and the team play whether it's you know breakouts or zone entries or or uh, power play or penalty kill etc cetera, etc cetera. but um it, it's not that often that you see coaches work individually with players and kind of 
say like here's specifically how you do it they they kind of more depend on those players going and finding their own skills coaches to work on these things what's your perspective on helping individual players develop their their specific games and their specific skills yeah absolutely i think you know to each coach their own i think we're doing right now um our ice is actually out but we're actually doing skill sessions um, breaking down certain skills for defense and forwards and stuff. We do try to do a lot of split groups throughout the year. Um, but I think it's super important to work with your individual athletes to obviously we're more um, short on the staff side of things. But, you know, if you have ice 20 minutes before, 20 minutes after, like to grab a player of this is how what I want you thinking about on the PK. This is what I want you kind of starting to think about on the power play too and um some of that stuff just happens naturally throughout the season of like when situations come up and stuff like that too but no I think it's definitely important to kind of work with each player to develop them for sure at this level gotcha gotcha so um you know we're, we're gonna get into the recruiting side of things but you know when when uh over the last two seasons when you've been um talking to potential players to join your team what's your pitch on why they should come to St. Anselm yeah, for sure. I think, you know, a lot of it is the care factor with the people here and, and you're not going to just be a number. Um, you're going to be in part of something important and the growth of this program at the Division One level. And I alluded to it before with my opportunity with Robert Morris, but that's what I, I my biggest thing is I provide you with opportunity and you can do as much as you want with it or as little as you want with it. It's kind of like you control your destiny. I give we give you this opportunity to, to to play, and you can take advantage of everything here or take advantage of nothing. But um, we're also very relationship focused with recruiting, just so that when our recruits start to come here, they know what we're like. We kind of know what they're like and expectations um, and stuff like that too. But um, it's just and obviously, you know, when they come to campus, they just fall in love with it and and. The academics excellence here is also just second to none too. So it's really just, it sells itself. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. So let, let's move into the recruiting side of things before we talk about kind of your specific thinking and, and, and activities that are going to be coming up. Talk, talk to me about the transfer portal portal um, and kind of how it's affected kind of NUHA and, and your team, both from a positive or negative impact on your program. Um, you know, I see that, uh, relatively speaking, you actually have less players in the transfer portal from, from your specific team. But, you know, we, we see other examples at some, you know, top recruits um, who were at some top programs appear not to get a lot of playing time. And so they're trying to move up. So is it helping you or, you know, maybe you're losing your top players? For us, we just have two that are fifth years. Um, unfortunately, we only have one grad program right now. So it, it's not helping or, or hurting us um, in regards to that. Um, we did get, our two transfers have been very successful here, Natalie Tulchinski and um, Ali Kelly. So it has helped us in that sense of bringing in these, these players from these elite programs and what their standard of, helping our players kind of elevate of like this is the standard of weight room training this is a standard of how we practice and stuff like that so it's, it's helped us in that sense I don't think it's hurt us but the transfer portal is definitely especially this year um a little scary <laughs> um with you never know I don't want to never you never know what goes on in other programs um 
players choose to leave or, or they're let go, but um, it's it's definitely helped some programs out there. It's definitely hurt some programs. I think it's helping the new hall and, and other teams in our conference um, get those players and just like, we're coming from this league. This is how we do things. How do we kind of work together to, to make it better? So. Gotcha. Gotcha. So um, your program didn't play during the COVID, COVID year. And so therefore you kind of had um, players who were there before get an extra year and you had, I'm assuming a lot of players come in, in for your first year. Um, so by my amateur analysis, it, it's possible you might lose 16 players in 2025 um, and June 15th is coming up. I, it, my math is probably off a little bit, but you, you have a lot of players that are, um, you know, sophomores or juniors at this point who may have an extra year of eligibility. Anyhow, my point is, is um, as you get ready for the 2025 recruiting season to start on June 15th, um, kind of how are you thinking about things and, and how are you, what are your plans in terms of, uh, you know, evaluating players and, and getting your list together? Yeah, absolutely. We've been on the road the last couple of weekends um, recruiting and, and getting our lists and stuff like that. I think you have at this day and age with the transfer portal and, and everything going on, you have to be very fluid and you have to be adaptive um, and willing to change. So you can have your big vision plan and what you want to do, but you have to be able to adjust to, hey, this person's going to leave or um, not come back and stuff like that too. Um, but we have our lists and kind of our, our goals of what we want to see. We'll lose nine and 24 and six in 25. Uh, my first year we did have technically our freshmen and sophomore were all freshmen because they never played. So we had a very young team last year and last year was definitely about opportunity and, and showing what you have and stuff like that. And now that we have more of a foundation here and what we want to do. Um, but um, 2025, yeah, definitely prepping for June 15th. But at the same time, we have to be a little bit more strategic and, and creative in how we recruit because um, we can't have the same recruiting philosophy as Wisconsin and, and those teams. We have to do things a little bit differently. So um, we we have a creative plan in place. So Gotcha. So what, what is it you look for in players? Um, you know, maybe it's by position or whatever it is, but what are, what are the attributes that you look for in a, in a player to that would fit in well at St. A? Yeah, absolutely. So we, you know, obviously everyone at this level can skate, shoot, pass, um, stick handle. So those are obviously the, the non-negotiables, but we look for compete. We look for players who can think the game at a very fast level and, and kind of read situations. And then again, I go back to like the relationship building, being able to have a good line of communication, coachability and stuff like that too. You know, when you see kids slam sticks or parents yelling um, and stuff like that, like that's for coaches, that's not a great flight, but definitely that compete factor. Um, we play very fast user speed attack um, so those are things we look for. And then obviously, you know, what, we're, what are we trying to replace in our lineup too, as well? So we don't just, you know, we're not, well, we just want defensive defensemen. We want to, we have a puzzle and we're trying to put all the right pieces together to create the best team. Gotcha. And, um, if I recall correctly, I think you, you mentioned her a couple of times that, uh, your goalie played, um, one of your goalies played almost all the games, like 37 out of, out of 41 games or something like that, or, or started most of them. So how do you think about it from a goalie perspective? You know, goalie coming in, you know, do, do they, 
do they need to think about, you know, how much playing time am I going to get? Am I going to be the, the second backup or the first backup and maybe not play a lot? Or, you know, like, how, how do you think about playing time versus just uh, having a role on the team? Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, you know, through our individual meetings, um, you know, this summer is, you know, you got to put in the work. Um, we do have, you know, a, a bigger roster, but you got to put, put in the work if you want to be here. And I think everyone's pretty hungry. Um, you know, everybody, we losing two years in a row in a championship game, I think is a, a really good motivator, but as far as a goalie perspective, you know, Allie did play a lot of games and she is leaving and we, you know, we do not promise ice time or anything. We promise opportunities. So you got to work hard and you got to earn it every day. Um, that's something we believe in is, is earning it through hard work off ice on ice. Um, but that's our what we, you know, hold our returning goalie and our incoming goalie as well. Gotcha. So um, relate to us. We talked a little bit about playing time a couple of times now during during our conversation. Um, like you said, you know, you can't promise ice time, but you can promise opportunity. How should a player think about, you know, how much time will I actually get to play? How would they think about it from a player perspective on the program that they go to? Obviously, leaving out the school and the fit on the academic side and things like that. You know, players want to play. Um, otherwise they, 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 you know, they wouldn't be playing hockey. Um, how, how do they figure that out before they get there on, here's my chance, here, here's what I think the best opportunity for me is to actually get meaningful ice time. Yeah, for sure. I think, you know, with the availability of streaming across all conferences, I think when you're going through the recruiting process too, it was like, watch your team play, see, evaluate yourself as a player. Think, do I fit in with this? league or this team this coaching style so I think you know do your due diligence and you know if you're a, a hard-nosed um, center um, and you want to go to a very skilled team are you going to play that much and I think that's honestly through the recruiting process have transparent conversation with coaches of like where do you potentially see me and, and stuff like that too but um be be self-aware and always evaluate yourself as an athlete um not to not to be negative just to be what are my strengths what are my weaknesses in my game um where do i see myself on this team contributing to their success gotcha gotcha so any other advice for players who are like the 2025s who are kind of starting the process and actually talking to coaches um as they go through uh the next couple few months of uh um talking to coaches for the first time directly yeah, absolutely. I'd say June 15th is a very busy day. And I think a lot of players get caught up in the hype or if they don't get the certain phone call, it's defeating. And I think, you know, some teams, especially with the transfer portal, they're always recruiting. Um, I say stay fluid and stay adaptive. Uh, don't give up hope. Keep working hard. Keep your head up and um, don't get deterred. Um because there's always, always opportunity. Um, so, so stay positive, keep working hard, keep a good attitude too, as well. Perfect. Um, and uh, I don't know what you're up to over the summer, but you kind of mentioned you've already been at a couple of uh, recruiting events. Um, I don't know if you're going to be having any camps, but uh, what are your plans, uh, you know, this spring and summer to, to go out and uh, meet potential recruits? Yeah, absolutely. So there's always a lot of stuff going on in New England that we will be out at this summer, including, you know, Beantown and stuff like that. We're actually hosting a, a camp July 17th through the 19th. It's going to be more of a development camp um, rather than like a college exposure, but 
gives kind of an insight to you get to see the facility work with us coaches and um, use some of our training um, methods and stuff like that too. So we're excited. That's our first one um, in here in about three or four years. So we're excited to get that going. Um, obviously, we'll be kind of at the Stony Creeks, um, Pittsburgh Labor Day Showcase and stuff like that too. But yeah, we'll be on the road a lot this summer. Gotcha. And um, what I've seen, at least uh, over the past couple of years, is that the new hot teams tend to add players a little bit later on average than uh, some of the, you know, top 10 teams, let's just say. Um, and, and is that part of the process? I mean, I'm sure you, you're making offers June 15th, but do you find that it's spread out over kind of an 18-month period for your incoming class? Oh, absolutely. And that's what I just... Um was alluding to before about being a little more creative and strategic um, in a realization of like, yes, the top 10 teams um, and all that, but where we're at with scholarships and stuff like that too, a little more creative, a little more, again, building those relationships. So we're, we're not all about June 15th. We're taking our time and making sure we're getting the right people in here too. Perfect. Perfect. Well, I'll make sure I also add your camp to our uh, calendar of events for 2023, uh, now that I know about it. Um, and so I want to thank you so much, Jen, for coming on the podcast. It was great to learn about your background, your development, your coaching history, and then uh, kind of everything that you're doing at St. Anselm and what your plans are for the future. So thank you so much for doing this. Thank you so much for having me. It was great talking with you, Ray. I really want to thank Jen for coming on the podcast. It was great to hear about her unique recruiting journey, how she developed as a player and coach, and her thoughts on the recruiting process from both a player and coach perspective. You can connect with Jen on the St. Anselm website or her Champs app profile. Links to both are in the show notes. Thanks for listening to today's episode. Before you go, I wanted to share more about the app in Champs app. If you've listened to this podcast before, you know I spend a lot of time talking with coaches, parents, and players about the hockey recruiting process. One of the key questions that people want to know is, how does a player get noticed by college coaches? While there are many ways to be discovered, the easiest way to get on a college's radar is to send a coach an email and provide them all the information they need to assess if you are a player worth keeping their eyes on. That's where the app part of Champs app comes in. Champs app was designed based on all the conversations and feedback we received about the recruiting process, and we built a tool to help players and coaches connect with a ton of the information they want to know. It all starts with creating a free, beautiful Champs app profile. After that, there are some pretty magical things that can happen to help make the recruiting process a little less overwhelming. Your Champs app profile includes all the basic academic, personal, and athletic information coaches want to know. Then, by including video, schedule information, and your coach's contact details, colleges can easily start their evaluation process. You just copy and paste your personalized link and send it to coaches so they can see your public player profile without even having to log in or create a Champs app account. Or you can connect directly with coaches on Champs app. More and more coaches are creating their own Champs app profiles and connecting with players themselves every day. Now coaches can have all the information they need to assess where you might fit in their recruiting plans. Even better, college coaches can track your progress throughout the winter and showcase seasons. Because as you make changes to your profile, coaches will get notified to your updates. And in the future, we will be adding even more amazing features to improve your visibility to the recruiting process and hopefully increase your odds of success. If you want to see what a player or coach profile looks like before you start your own, look in the show notes to see some examples. My kids and I have used Champs app for their recruiting process. In fact, my son was invited to a AAA tryout thanks to his Champs app profile. 
So go to www.champs.app and start your player or coach profile. It only takes about 15 to 20 minutes to complete most of your key information. Good luck, and please let us know how it helped with your recruiting journey.